As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Today, I am so excited. When you interview another podcaster, it kind of makes you get antsy and nervous. I have Colin Mitchell with me today. How are you, Colin? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Thanks so much for having me on. This is going to be a lot of fun. It is. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Colin. He is a four-time founder and passionate about sales, entrepreneurship, and podcasting. He is the co-founder of SalesCast and the host of Sales Transformation. He lives in Los Angeles with his beautiful wife, three kids, and brand new puppy. So how did you start your career way back when, Mm -hmm. and how did you get to being a four-time founder and hosting a podcast and doing all of these amazing things? Yeah, so my sales journey started, uh, I think around 2008 or so. And, you know, for me, I was a very, not very responsible, sort of troubled young adult. I grew up, you know, poor, raised by a single mom. My dad was never around. Nobody told me school was important. I barely made it through high school at the skin of my teeth. So there wasn't like a ton of opportunities. Uh, There wasn't a lot of doors open for somebody like me. My first like job was moving furniture. And I literally had to beg my stepdad for my first sales job. I knew if I didn't want to live the way that I grew up, like check to check, struggling, food stamps, you name it, that I needed to get a sales job. I seen, you know, that he was doing well and people around him were doing well. And he didn't really trust to put his neck out there for me. So I I think I had to ask him at least a dozen times, like, please just give me a shot. And I finally got that first sales job, you know, so you've heard a lot of sales stories. Typically they go like, Hey, I went to school for this thing. Didn't work out. Didn't enjoy it. So I got a sales job, right? sales is typically everybody's like fallback or plan B. For me, it was like the only door open. It was the only thing that, you know, was available for me. Uh, So I made the most out of it. And that first sales job was your typical boiler room, hitting the phones, hundreds of dials a day, not a lot of training, but I just made the most of it. I was the first one in every day, was the last one to leave every day. And then I came in on Saturdays to get my list ready, send proposals and do that, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, a lot of times we don't really talk about how sales can really change the trajectory of your life. Mm. And so you really talked about your story where sales was your way to really kind of get out of poverty, to kind of break the cycle. And you're like, this is all I got. (laughs) Like it's sales or nothing. So you put your everything in. So as a young salesperson starting out, knowing that this is what I have to do to eat, what kept you going every day? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I recently was thinking about it and it was like, I feel like sales saved my life. Like, you know, without that first job, that first opportunity, I don't know what I would be doing, honestly. You know, having a house, a family, like you name it, starting companies, like it literally changed the whole trajectory of my whole life. And what kept me going is like, I didn't, you know, a lot of people have these passions as a kid or they want to go to school for these things. And I don't really know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be poor. That was it. Like, I just didn't want to struggle. I wanted to just have a little bit of money in the bank, a little bit of comfort, be able to enjoy some things in life without like feeling like, oh, I can't afford this. Like at that stage, you know, at 20, I guess I was 21 years old, you know, that was it. That was all I wanted to do. I didn't have a lot of responsibility, didn't have a lot of bills. Like I could just get in, put in the hard work, you know, grind it out. And that, that kept me going. And then I started to see a little bit of success and I was like, wow. And I really started to enjoy it. And then, you know, I worked my way up to the top of that company within a couple of years and then went into getting my first VP of sales position after that. Mm, he just didn't want to be poor. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like literally it was just as simple as that. I don't want to be poor. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm working with sales teams, mm -hmm. I always say, okay, you got to set a personal goal. Like, why are you working so hard? Are you trying to pay off a student loan? Are you trying to go on vacation? Do you have kids in private school? Like, knowing why you're working so hard because we know sales is not the easiest job out there <laughs> yeah that helps you stay focused and it helps you make those calls continuously and continuously okay so you worked your way up and mm -hmm. then you became a vp of sales yeah. so what were those first moments like as a vp of sales for you oh it was tough it was tough like so just to kind of go back a little bit at that first company they promised me that i would manage a team you know most successful sellers think, hey, the next best step is to manage a team. And anybody who's maybe in that place right now, like really think about that because not everybody is built to manage people. And a lot of times you don't even really know what you're signing up for. I was not a great manager. I was your typical successful seller to managing a team, you know, and thought everybody should sell like me, you know, which is not true. Everything like you mentioned, right? Everybody has something different that motivates them. And there's a big misconception that sellers all have to be money motivated. And it's not true. It's really not true. There's only like a really small percentage of like people in general that are actually money motivated, which is a whole nother conversation because all the comp plans out there are built around everybody being money motivated and it's just not the case. So yeah, I struggled. A lot of my story, a lot of everything that I've done, I've been able to accomplish is like hands-on training, like, well, doing well learning and, you know, making a lot of mistakes and failing and figuring it out and pivoting and, you know, iterating. And, and that's kind of just how everything has gone for me. So I learned how to manage people while managing people, which I don't recommend. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not sure how many years ago that was, but it's still the same today, right? Like yeah. I'm learning on the job. I don't really know what I'm doing, mm. but I want to really talk about that, how people are motivated, because I think that a lot of times from the outside looking in and inside looking out, they're like, you're a salesperson, you're in it for the money, yeah. right? Yeah. And at certain times within our career, yeah, maybe we are in it for the money. But I can remember when I first got into sales, I like, I kind of like you, I was like, I want to pay my debt off, right? Like I want to be debt free. And ever since I paid everything off, it's like debt free plus, but the house, that's the only debt I ever carry. And it's because with a sales career, it's like, okay, I'm making a little bit of commission. And so I can put a little bit of here and put a little bit there. But there are people that I work with now and they're like, 
my boss didn't tell me good job for closing the sale. And they're like, but you just made $10,000. Why do you care? But my boss didn't tell me good job. Yeah. Right. And it's like, people are motivated differently and really understanding how each and every person on your team is motivated is so, so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And then what's even more important too, is like, okay, figuring that some people don't even take the time to figure it out first place. Right. Which I didn't do. I thought like, Hey, this is how I should sell. This is what motivates me. This is what should work for you too. Cause I'm a top producer. So why not? And it's just not the case, right? Some people want that pat on the back. Some people care more about making change or, you know, serving people or, you know, doing good, or, you know, maybe they, you know, have some goals to buy a house or start a family or go on a vacation, like which are all money things, but they're not really, they're tied to something else, right? So, or some people just value the opportunity to learn, right? I had Kevin Dorsey on my show, which is, you know, uh, one of my favorite people in sales. And he came in and he, you know, I asked him when he came on the show, I'm like, you know, what do you not get to talk about that much? Let's talk about that. And he talked about basically doing away with commissions for salespeople, which is a clearly an unpopular topic. And it really went into this topic of like, you know, people really aren't money motivated. And, you know, he was at a company that sold snacks as a service and he was having to compete with SaaS companies for talent that had these big comp plans that he couldn't compete with. And people that, you know, went to work for him valued the opportunity that they got there more than the money. And so that's, you know, kind of, you got to know what is important to people, number one. And then number two, you also got to check in with that because it changes. You know, what your new hire on day one said motivates them may not be the same thing the next quarter, six months, the next year, like things can change, circumstances change, people change, you know, so you got to check in and say, hey, is this still the, you know, destination? Is this still the goal? Is this still the runway? Has the runway changed? Have we made a turn here? What's going on? And then how can you best, you know, support and serve them? Absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything you said, 100%. And really having the way that you as a manager are really impacting the people that are working with you is that, hey, every single day, every single month, every single quarter, we have goals. There's something that you're working for in January, but by December, it might be different. And I, as your leader, as your coach, I need to be in tune to that, right? I need to understand if you just had a tragic family emergency and because you're in sales, everybody knows that you have deep pockets. So they're always running to you saying, hey, can I borrow money? Can I borrow money? And maybe that is what you're working for, to send money back home, Mm. to help your parents, right? And so I think that companies, as they think about this year that everybody's pegging as the great retention, figure out what each person needs. Because this is one of my favorite phrases. I like to say salespeople are humans too. Because at the end of the day, I say that because a lot of times it's like, nope, you are just a checkbook. And I don't care. You fit into this box. You've been here one year. This is your comp plan. Go ahead and go on, right? One of the companies that I... um worked with previously, if you hit your number that month, you could take your family out to dinner and you could just expense it, right? It's just like small things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So tell me, when did that light bulb moment go off for you? Because you said when you first got into leading a team, it was horrible. When did it click? Yeah. You know, through just testing different things and following different people and reading books and podcasts and really just self-educating myself more about, you know, sales and sales leadership and realizing that everybody ticks differently. Right. And, you know, we talked about a lot of different examples. The biggest thing is creating an environment where there's good communication and transparency. 
And I think so many leaders lack that, you know, lack that transparency of like just telling your team what's going on with the business. I mean, you don't have to tell them the nitty gritty details of like everything, but a lot of times, and I can say, honestly, I learned by mistake, you know, sometimes changes happen and and your team feels a little bit like it came out of left field. Like that's, you know, hurts the culture significantly. So good communication with your team is key on, you know, sort of team level and individual level. And then also like creating space for them to be honest with you about what's going on. Because sometimes, you know, if you haven't built a culture around that from the beginning, it's a little bit more challenging to like start to try to transition to more honesty and transparency and being authentic and things like that. Because they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, this is different. This is not, you know, how you were before. What's going on here? So the key is because sometimes people are scared to speak up. Like they won't necessarily want to tell you the truth because they don't know how you're going to receive it or if they're going to be punished or whatever the case is. And there's some more interesting things that people value today. Like we mentioned some things, but some people just value being able to work from anywhere or being able to, you know, so many companies today try to control what you do on social. And it's like, they want to be able to have their own personal brand and not feel like, you know, that's an issue. They may want to have a side hustle and not get crap from it from their boss. Like there's a lot of different things that people value today where they will take a job where the culture allows them to have that sort of autonomy and creativity and things that they do, you know, as long as they're getting the job done, that they have the flexibility to do those other things that really light them up as well. Mm, Quality of life. I mean, that's what it really boils down to. I read an article recently and somebody turned down a job that was going to pay them like $75,000 a year more because they had to travel and Mm. their current job, they just work from home. And after the past two years, they're like, I actually really like this. (laughs) I like not having to go anywhere. I mean, I've been working from home for like 12 years. So I am a hundred percent work from home kind of person. And so some of those, like it's the small things, right? Like how are you treating your employees? And like, Mm. Even a small thing like, do you have a company credit card or do I have to float you company (laughs) and expense everything? Like those are the things that people are so, so focused on these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and even with people who necessarily don't work out, you know, making sure they still had a good experience and, you know, exited in a respectful way. I mean, I have somebody that was on my team where it didn't work out. And like he sent me a DM like a couple weeks ago, just like, hey, I know it didn't work out, but thank you so much. I learned so much. And now like I'm in this job and I'm doing great and I just got promoted. And it's like those things are important, like caring about the people on your team as human beings and not just as a seller. Mm, Yeah, salespeople are human too. (laughs) So one thing that's been kind of getting under my skin lately is I see a lot of people on, you know, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, and they're appealing to the sellers, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But they're telling the sellers how important it is for them to invest in themselves and them to do this and them to do that. And me, because I always focus on the sales leader, I'm like, no, it's the sales leader. Let's help those sales leaders get stronger so they can build strong sales teams. So you mentioned investing in yourself. And so when you were at that point and you said, I have to do this for me because my company isn't gonna do it, what were some key, whether it's books or people you follow, what were some key things that you did to really level yourself up? Yeah, I mean, a book that I really love by a good friend, uh, Larry Levine is Selling from the Heart, right? It's a great book. And then for anybody who is looking for a, I'm trying to see if I have it handy. This is like, if you wanna get your sales leadership MBA, 
this is the book you need right here. Revenue Harvest by Nigel Green. This tells you exactly, you know, how to build a team, how to culture, hire, plan, execute, you know, get everybody rowing in the right direction. I've read this multiple times. So Revenue Harvest by Nigel Green is like for anybody who's like maybe new to sales leadership or maybe struggling in sales leadership. That's the go-to book to get your sales leadership MBA. Mm, sales leadership MBA. I wish they actually had those. <laughs> we're not there yet. We're, yeah. we're, we're not even getting a bachelor of science in sales yet. So maybe one day. I've heard they have sales courses in college these days. I don't know how good they are, but I have had one person on the podcast that actually took sales courses and did sales competitions well in college. So yeah, you know, so uh, the thing is that those courses are taught by those lovely professors who have yeah. lots of academic yeah. background. Well, it's they... the equivalent of the sales trainers that are professional trainers giving the training, but they're not really a practitioner. And it's like, okay, when's the last time you actually did anything other than teach this stuff? <laughs> or did you ever actually do this stuff? Like, do yeah. you have examples of, you know, you actually selling or closing or living out of a hotel? Like, those are things that, you know, before you choose who's going to train your team, think about that. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. So you went from being a VP of sales and you founded four different companies. Yeah. When did you decide to leave that corporate life alone and move into entrepreneurship? Yeah. So my wife and I had just started dating. We'd been dating for a little while and she was in recruitment, which was, you know, sales role. And she wasn't really too happy there. And, you know, we were pretty successful. So I said, why don't you come over here, see what we're doing. And we got the opportunity to work together. You know, she learned a lot. And then one day we're just like, hey, I think we can do this on our own. So we started our first company in 2010. Our first office was we moved around the furniture in our one bedroom apartment and just shoved two big desks in there and set up shop. And the rest is history, right? So from there, we worked there, kept our expenses low, you know, really grinded it out for the first year or two. And we built that company from zero to five million in annual revenue in 26 months. Yeah. And we spent $0 on marketing. We, you know, we got our first office and outgrew that office and really just recruited great sales talent and trained salespeople, mostly all outbound sales and, you know, nothing fancy, $0 on marketing, some good hires. And it was all fueled by an outbound sales team, 5 million in 26 months. Wow. You know, there's something about salespeople starting companies. <laughs> I do think that sometimes, you know, you, you focus oh, only yeah. on the sales and maybe not the execution, but you do know how to close business, right? And that is one thing that is so key. Oh yeah. Sales cures all, right? I mean, there was definitely lots of things that did not go smooth in that period. I mean, scaling that fast while trying to learn and figure out things like managing cash flow and payroll and benefits and HR issues. And, you know, like there was a lot of parts that were not fun, but, you know, we didn't drive 5 million in 26 months. We grew to 5 million in annual revenue in 26 months. And we had a sales team of over 25 people. And, you know, just even getting, you know, all of the tech working properly. And I mean, there's tons and tons and tons of challenges that led up to that, right? And that's what most people don't talk about because they're like, oh, it seems so great. Like, 
five million in 26 months sounds amazing. And not that it wasn't, not to take anything away from it, but it was hard. It was not easy. There was lots of struggle. There was lots of moments where, you know, I mean, we had commission salespeople that were making a lot of money and we sold products that were on like net terms to big school districts and government entities and we had to pay vendors. So like even just managing the cash flow and making sure like we could hit payroll was hard sometimes. And you would think like, oh, 5 million, it's very successful. Yeah, it is. But there's a lot of things behind the scenes there that are not so sexy. Oh yeah. <laughs> People are like, oh, you own your own company, six, seven figure, eight figure company. And this is awesome. And you're like, yeah, it is nice to be your own boss, but being your own boss also comes with really figuring out, okay, do I need a COO now? Do I need a CFO? Okay. I have to pay this person. I don't want Rob mm. Peter to pay Paul, but I, like all of those moving parts and you have to be strategic and you still have to focus on sales and growing the company and all the moving parts. But I'm guessing that first stint in entrepreneurship helped you in your subsequent one. So did you sell the company? Was it acquired? What happened with your company? Yeah. So I actually still own that company today. And oh. my stepdad is our sales manager. COVID hit us pretty hard because we mainly deal with K through 12, but I still own that company. From there, I started another unified communications company, which I scaled to over 6,000 users on the platform, recently exited that company. And then I had a short stint where I started a little marketing agency. That business was not for me. That business was not a success. And then now a little over 18 months ago, I started SalesCast with my business partner, Chris. We have over 75 shows in our network. You know, we basically have couple different parts of our business. We have our fully managed podcast services. So we work with podcasters that are focused on driving revenue. We have our fully managed production. We also book people on high quality shows in a way to sort of give back and help people that necessarily can't work with us. Uh, we have our free podcast community. And then we also have some upgrades and things like that there where people can get additional tools, resources, and knowledge to get them on the path to driving revenue with their show. So the same stepdad who gave you that Put into do yeah. the door in yeah. sales is yeah. actually a sales manager for one of the companies that you own. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He manages all of our reps and uh, he's been with us for quite some time. So, isn't it amazing how those people in our lives, whether we consider them mentors or the ones who gave us a stepping stone, life is full circle. It's like, yeah, you said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take a chance on you. I'm not sticking my yeah. neck out for you. I'll take a chance on you. And you ran with it. And now you're able to say, hey, you actually got me into sales and you're a pretty good salesperson. So yeah. why don't you come over here and work with me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to, I've never really asked him. I'd love to know what he said to even give me that first opportunity. I can just imagine like, I don't know if it's going to work out. You know, it may be, maybe not, not sure, you know, because, you know, the first few times I asked him, he's like, no, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready, you know? So, yeah. That's awesome. That is amazing. And you mentioned the marketing agency. When I first started my company, I used to do sales and marketing. And I very quickly said, yep, nope, marketing is not for me. Yeah. When my, your website crashes or your ads are not, that's just not my thing. <laughs> like, I don't actually care that much about that. And it was way too much stress. But I think that as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, knowing what your strength is and the strength of the people that you have around you is key. Oh yeah, definitely. Know how to stay in your lane. I mean, there was a short stint where like I got out of, 
I wouldn't say I got away from doing sales completely, but I was like less involved in sales in that first company. And I like was trying to launch new services and trying to get fancy with marketing and do all these like fancy things. And I hated it. I literally hated it. Like I thrive and get energized through like working with salespeople, staying in the trenches. Like I'm a weirdo. I still make cold calls today, like every single week. Not a lot of people do that. I even have a LinkedIn live show where we live stream cold calls for an hour. And that's what I enjoy doing most is building new relationships, doing, you know, a little bit of business development, testing new things with the people that I work with. Like, hey, I don't know if this new segment's gonna work. I don't know if this new sequence is gonna work or this script or this list, but let's test it. Let's test it together. Oh yes. When you really figure out like where your passion lies, like I tell people, I'm I'm a salesperson down to my core. And like my friends who knew me in high school and college are like, yeah, we always knew you were going to do this. Like you didn't know then, but we always knew because you were always, they would say I was always hustling. Like I was always trying to come on, let's negotiate. Let's figure this out. Right. And I think that as a leader, there are a couple different ways you can grow. And one of the ways to grow is starting a new product, launching a new product, starting mm -hmm. a new business line, an acquisition, all of these different ways that you can grow or you can grow organically, right? You can take this one product that you do really, really good with and go deeper, find different places to insert it, different verticals and things like that. And I think really that is the way that a leader has to think about their business or their business unit strategically. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right, but there's also another benefit that I think a lot of leaders don't consider when it's like, oh, you want me to like work deals or prospect or get in the trenches with my team? I think so many more leaders should be doing this. And there's one benefit that, okay, yes, you're going to get in there and say, hey, I'm willing to roll my sleeves up. So you're going to you know, build some credibility with your team, which is going to help culture as a whole. But then there's also you being willing to make yourself vulnerable creates a different feeling amongst the team and a different, you know, where, you know, allows them to see that, Hey, it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Cause as a leader, like you may not prospect as much as other people on your team. So chances are you're probably may or may not even be as good as them. You may be a little out of practice, but the willingness to, Hey, be vulnerable and make mistakes in front of them. That's going to change the relationship that you have with them. Right? Because like, if we go back to what we talked about earlier, a lot of leaders don't do a good enough job making it safe for people on their team to speak up or say, Hey, I need help with this, or this is what's going on. Or, you know, how could I do this better? Like there's not even that line of communication where they feel comfortable being vulnerable because they don't want to get penalized or fired or whatever you name it. Mm. And the thing is that vulnerability in leadership, like my passion, like you said, you love cold calling. That's absolutely not my passion. Like, <laughs> and the thing is, we talked about training people. I teach people how to do it. And I'm like, you got to do it, but I don't enjoy it, but I'm still going to do it because I have to. Right. You never cold called with us then. <laughs> you never done it right. <laughs> I, well, I need to cold call with you guys. Cause I just, that's not my passion. Like yeah. I am. Uh, yeah. Not my yeah. thing. But at the end of the day, the people on my team, I have people on my team who are so good at cold calling. I train like these amazing people to cold call. And as a leader, the thing is you need to know how to do everything that your reps do. You need to know how to do all of those bits and pieces. You don't have to be excellent at everything, but you should know how to do it. If they say, can you sit in this demo with me for this product? And you're like, okay, you do this every day. I touch this maybe once a week. You're the expert here, but I'm here to support you. I'm here to give you feedback and having that open feedback loop and really talking 
with those reps and making sure that you're giving them what they need to really grow is so integral. Yeah. Yeah. And also just being honest, like, Hey, if cold calling is not your specialty or not your strength, don't try to pretend like it is right. Cause so many leaders want to pretend like, Hey, I got all the answers, you know, and sort of like, I'm, you know, superior up here and, and, you know, just being humble enough to be like, Hey, this is not one of my strengths. Right. But maybe you bring somebody in, you know, to help your team with that, that is an expert in that, right? Because so many leaders want to be up in their ivory tower, like they have all the answers and that's just not reality. So tell us a little bit more about your newest venture, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, SalesCast. So you're a podcast guru, and I told Colin before we started recording, <laughs> ah, I know that you're a podcast guru, so I, I feel a little nervous <laughs> getting yeah. on here with you. So tell me, how are you helping people really embrace podcasting and ensure that their voice is being heard and that they're monetizing it? Yeah, so about a little over two years ago, I went on a podcast for the first time and it was on Christopher Decker's podcast, who's my co-founder. And I had such a great experience and after it, you know, I went into the studio um, and I was like, I think I want to start a podcast, you know, it's, and he's like, sure, I, I can help you with that. And I'm like, I'm super busy. I think I can only maybe do one or two episodes a month. And he's like, Hey, whatever you're comfortable with. And then a successful podcaster that we, we knew came along and was like, no, 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 you got to record 20, release them daily. You'll hack the Apple algorithm, get in the new noteworthy section. And that's how you pick up tons of listeners early on. And I was like, I don't know, this guy's getting like 80,000 downloads a month. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Fine. Let's record 20 and then get back to my comfort, you know, comfortable level of one or two a month. We recorded 20, we released them daily. We never got listed on the new Noteworthy. We never hacked the Apple algorithm, uh, but I just absolutely fell in love with the activity. Um, and we created a lot of process around like a high frequency podcast. And that's when I was still running the Unified Communications Company. And I was basically interviewing entrepreneurs and founders and building relationships. And the one thing that I loved most was all these amazing people that I was meeting and building a you know, high quality network and you know, building relationships with them, learning from them. Um, and then something interesting happened. I went on another podcast and the person had me on. It was like a 10 minute podcast and it was super weird. And at the very end, he tried to sell me something. He tried to sell me like some, I think it was 5,000 or 10,000. I can't remember. Package on how to start a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, First of all, that's ridiculous to pay five or $10,000 on how to start a podcast. Secondly, I already have a podcast. So I was pretty upset. And then from there, I think that day or the next day I was in the shower and that's where I get all my best ideas. Probably the only time that it's quiet in my house. I got three kids and a fourth on the way. So, <laughs> so, and I was like, you know what? That was actually a great idea. It was just poor execution. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think I texted Chris and I'm like, hey, you know, that situation that happened and I was super upset. It's actually a great idea. It also kind of, you know, at the same time, simultaneously, while I was doing this other podcast where I was interviewing entrepreneurs and founders, the thing that kept coming up is people were like, hey, I want to start a podcast. Can you help me? You know, how do I start a podcast? And so I was like, I think we're sort of onto something here, but we need to do it right. And so we started to teach a lot of people how to start a podcast, how to use it to build relationships, how to, you know, open doors, how to drive revenue. And then from there, we just, you know, have a lot of, we've learned a lot. Last year alone, Chris and I had 1,400 conversations with people in some stage of their podcast journey. Wow. 
whether it was people just getting started, embracing guesting as a strategy, or even a lot of folks that are like, hey, I'm 50 episodes in, I'm 100 episodes in, I absolutely love it, but it's costing me money and I'm not making any money. And so we work with folks like that where you know we take a lot of things over for them and show them how to grow the show and drive revenue. We're not a right fit for everybody. We're really only a fit for people who have a clear strategy or want to drive revenue with the show. And then we help them with that. And then the big part of the community was through all of those conversations, you know, there was only a certain amount of people that, you know, were a good fit to work with us, but we didn't really have a way to serve them. And that's why we launched the community because there's 2.7 million podcasts out there. Only 50% of them still release episodes. So that means a lot of people are failing. Many of them never make it to episode 10. And so the community was our way of, you know, helping folks that are just getting started, maybe aren't a good fit or, you know, maybe just can't afford us and our way of helping and serving them. Hmm. I wanted you to chat about that because I've been podcasting, I guess, uh, about a year and a half or so, and it is definitely a labor of love. And so there are a lot of people listening and they're like, well, you know, I listen to lots of podcasts and I want to start my own. And so knowing that there's a support mechanism, because it was a hot mess when I started, I mean, it was so taking so much time and I was like, oh, no, 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 this is not it. And now I've gotten it to where I can just show up. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. I tell people, I just want to show up and interview my guest, and that's all I want to do. And I think when you can have somebody to help you figure out those pieces, mm-hmm. it really makes it the labor of love, the giving back, because that's what a podcast is. We're educating people. We're helping them learn a new skill, develop knowledge, and all of those amazing things. So you shared a whole lot of things that you have accomplished in your life. And my question for you is, what is the one thing, personally or professionally, that you are most proud of accomplishing? Personally or professionally? I'm going to go with personal and just um, just the, fa- the my family. Like, you know, I grew up raised by a single mom with a dad that was never around, you know. So people would think like, man, this dude must work a lot. I don't. I work eight hours a day. I don't work on the weekends. I do my best to put my phone away when I get home and be present with the kids. Sometimes I suck at it. Most times I don't. But yeah, just, you know, I'm home 4.30 every day with my kids, spend time with them. I get to coach baseball and soccer. And and we have another baby that's coming any day now. I love saying this. It's our fourth and final. So (laughs) yeah, anything more than four, I think would, I don't know, four may be on my limits. We'll see. But um, yeah, just the, the family that I've, been able to be a part of and be present and do things a little bit differently than the way I was brought up. Mm, Yeah. You mentioned that you and your wife started a company and now you have three kids, um, almost three and a half kids, I'll say. And so it seems like that business went well and there's a lot that's going well in your life and really being able to change the trajectory of your family, right? Again, we talked about the monetary way, but the fact that you're able to be present with your kids and you're there as their father, they see dad coming home every day. Um, I think that you're doing amazing things, both personally and professionally. Well, thanks so much. Well, this has been an amazing chat and I truly, truly thank you for your time, sharing your expertise with the audience. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and thanks again for joining us. All righty. That's another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. And whatever you do, be sure to transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. 
Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.